Okay, so I'll, I'll begin. Um, I have five books coming out um, whenever, and maybe a sixth book. Uh, this is one of the books that I was working on, and I'll start with this, and we'll get into consciousness, and we'll get into uh, evil aliens and all this kind of stuff that's sort of prominent in the UFO world right now, but... Um, this is critically important because, for whatever reason, I have had a series of people come to me claiming they've flown the craft. And I think I'm the only one that's got these people. People may have the odd one or whatever, but they just all seem to appear to me. So the book that's a, that will be coming out has three dozen people, and this includes um, John Ramirez from the CIA. It includes 747 United Airlines pilot. It includes a retired U.S. Air Force colonel out of Los Angeles. Um, a bunch of people at different levels. Uh, but before I begin, I want to sort of uh, pay tribute to Robin Foy, who has just passed away. I have talked about a number of things I'm going to talk about today that I think are extremely important that the UFO community has sort of missed the boat uh, in terms of everybody's interested into interesting stories. They want to hear the latest UFO thing, who's the latest video, all this kind of stuff. And in many regards, I think we're sort of missing the boat of what's actually going on. Robin Foy was very important because I think that physical mediumship is extremely important to understand how reality actually works. And Robin Foy did the, the he was responsible for the, the Skull Experiment, if you've ever seen the documentary, and um, he has just passed away. And to show you the power of the physical and the connection between the physical and the um, non-physical, the spiritual world, whatever you want to call, I always refer people to the, the, um, the interview I did with Leslie Kane where I asked her about the hand. I said, Leslie, tell me the story about the hand. Tell me what happened with the hand. And she describes this situation where she's sitting at this table with a red light under the table, and this sort of watery stuff starts to appear on the table, and this hand appears, an arm appears, and it's right there. She said, I can feel it. I, I can feel the knuckles. It, it's, an, it's warmer than an ordinary hand. It's soft, like uh, almost like a, like a baby's hand. Uh, but she said, it's absolutely a hand. And it sits there, and then it bangs on the table, and then it just sort of disappears back into wherever it came from. And she said she's seen this a number of times. That is critically important because that basically shows you that whatever phenomena we are dealing with doesn't live in this physical reality. It lives in some other reality, and it can pop in, and it can pop back out. And Robin Foy and all the experiments he did with the skull, with all if you've seen all the material that was going on in Great Britain in the 1990s, uh, tremendous amount of material that shows a critically important thing that I think the UFO community has sort of overlooked, and that is this idea that it's all connected, whether you're talking uh, physical mediumship, whether you're talking UFOs, whether you're talking paranormal phenomena, it's all one thing. We're parsing it. That's what Ray Hernandez's original vision was with Free when he had had a conversation with me and I gave a, a consciousness lecture a couple days later. He was taken into the field driving down the um, freeway in, in Miami, and he was basically shown it's all connected. You've got to quit parsing this stuff. It's all the same thing. So I want to pay tribute to Robin Foy, who um, did a lot of important work that I think people should take a good look at, because it is definitely connected to the UFO phenomenon. Uh, my story today started with um, Pam Dupuy. This is Pam Dupuy, has now passed on. Um, I owe all what I'm going to, most of what I'm going to talk about today to Pam Dupuy. She's the one that got me going. Uh, after I gave a con my first consciousness lecture in 2013 in Phoenix, Arizona, after my 2012 experience, um, there was basically told with absolute certainty this, this is all got to do with consciousness. Uh, I was put in contact with Pam Dupuy. I didn't know who she was. They said, are you going to talk to Pam? I said, I guess so. 
she came to this house on the Monday um, and she basically started to talk about being an abductee and uh, being cha- doing remote viewing for the U.S. government and this and that and whatever. And I'd heard all these stories. And at that point, she said, oh, yeah, and last night I was flying the craft. And at that point, I I'd never heard anything like this in my life. And I thought, this is absolutely insane. I still think it's insane. It's, uh, I guess, what Jacques Vallée would call absurd. If you're going to make up a story, why would you put something so stupid into the story? Is the fact, oh, yeah, I got to fly the craft. My first instinct when she told me this was I said, like, come on, it's like Arab women at that point, you couldn't drive a car. I mean, you had to have your brother or a man in the, in the car in order to drive a car. I mean, and you're saying that the, the if you get taken by the, the intelligence, whatever it is, uh, they'll let you fly the craft without without training, without license, without insurance, nothing. You just, hey, drive the craft, let's fly around the universe here. And it just seems so absurd. And so she was the first one to tell me this. And then what happened is these people started to come to me one after another after another. And I would kept it very quiet in the last maybe six months or a year, I started to release uh, what I've been told. But until that point, I really didn't tell anybody that I was recording these stories from these people. And basically, they're telling a very, very similar story about how this whole thing works. And it's extremely important to realize, because then once you understand how this works, you understand uh, what may be going on. This is one of the most important slides I think I've ever seen. This is a, um, a, um, a painting that was done of an out-of-body experience. Now, if you look at the free survey of 3,200 experiencers that was done by Edgar Mitchell, Ray Hernandez, and all those uh, people, um, 80% of people who are experienced to say that had an out-of-body experience. I have not, but I realize the importance of the out-of-body experience. Again, the out-of-body experience is going to be the same thing. It's the same thing as the near-death experience. It's the same thing as lucid dreaming. It's, it's all these sort of things where you move into this alternate reality. The importance of this is, this, this painting, is you have this girl who's out of her body and she's looking back and this is critically important it's, it's like i call it the 1492 dilemma and that is what if the world was actually flat what if the sun actually did go around the earth what if everything was actually solid what if we weren't moving at a thousand miles an hour into the east and what if there were only five thousand stars what would it look like it would look exactly the same way it does now it's interpretation so we're in a dilemma right now where we are making interpretations about what we're seeing, and it's not true. So we have this idea, oh, you have God created the heaven and the earth, and he created a human being, and then he put the, put the soul in there, and he, he put consciousness inside the brain, and the brain looks out the eyes, and it, it sees what's going on, and it, 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 it lives its life. The out-of-body experience completely proves that wrong. So you have the girl, she's looking back at her body, and what does she see? She sees her body. But more important, she sees her head, and she sees her brain. So, her she's got awareness. Now, it may be contained in an astral body, but it's still just awareness. So, the awareness is looking back at the body and seeing the brain. So, is consciousness in the brain? No, it's not. Is the awareness in the brain? No, it's not. It's floating above the, the body, or seemingly above the body. It's looking back. Consciousness is, is, is there. And what you have to realize is that, as Deepak Chopra has said so many times, and uh, wisdom going back 5,000 years have said, this is like illusion. This is the, the fact that the body is in the awareness, not the other way around. We want to interpret it and say, our awareness is in our body, we see through our eyes, we feel through our hands and stuff. No, the body is in the awareness. The awareness is looking at the body. It's looking at the brain. It's looking at the head. The awareness is not in the brain. 
what's even more important if you look in the, at the side, say that was a window, you could have your, your, your awareness floating around and you could go and look out the window. And what would you see? You would see the moon. You would see that mountain. The mountain is in your awareness. The moon is in your awareness. It's not out there. It's in your awareness. You can look out and see the stars. The stars are in your awareness. And recently we've had this whole debate about galaxies. And I pointed out a um, hundred years ago, we only believed there was one galaxy. And the Hubble, when he came forward and said the Andromeda, he was talking about the Andromeda galaxy. He had a lot of fight. They said, it's not, it's not a galaxy. You get lost. Now, now it went up to 200 billion galaxies. And now the science suddenly said, oh, we made a mistake. There's two trillion galaxies. So the two trillion galaxies, where are the two trillion galaxies? They're in the awareness. We're saying, oh, no, it's out there. It's, there's just time and space, and it's out there. But the out-of-body experience, if you understand what's actually going on here, if the awareness, everything is in that awareness. Here's one that ties it into the UFO issue. Uh, Betty Andreessen, who just recently passed away, had six books written on it. I was honored to, at one point, interview her, but I can't find the interview. She had an experience where she has this long experience. They take her here, they take her there. They're, they're taking her all over the place. Uh, this elder and this um, sort of um, gray guy, small gray guy, are taking her around, and she goes back. And she goes back exactly the same thing that Chris Bledsoe talked about. That Chris Bledsoe said that in the 2007 experience, he was moved around Egypt, and he was shown all this stuff. And he said it seemed like it took four months. It was actually four hours he was gone, and he was in a glass orb. He could look out, and he was in this glass orb. So Betty Andreessen talks about this glass uh, orb as well. That She's taken back to her house after this experience in this glass orb. So they land her in the backyard. She gets out of this glass orb, and this is what she says. I ran to the trailer door, happy to be home. I headed for the bedroom where Bob was still sleeping. As I reached my side of the bed, I was shocked as I saw myself sitting there. Yet I was standing there beside myself. I slipped into my resting body. So this comes to this whole thing about abduction. What's really going on? Do we actually think, is, is it actually like the sun is actually going around the earth? This is how we interpret it. We are being grabbed and we are being taken physically out of the body. But when you start to look at this sort of stuff, you see a lot of really weird stuff in terms of the body floating, going through walls, which shouldn't happen if they were actually moving you uh, in a physical state. And Beta Andreessen, you got to remember, she had six books written on her. She had a lot of experience about this. And a lot of experiences will tell you this. They'll say, I don't think I was abducted. I think come to me in my dreams. Or Bashar says, we come to you in your dreams because now you're in our world. And this is this whole interpretation of the 1492 dilemma. What's really going on? What are we actually seeing? What is actual reality? And the more I look at it, the more I realize what I was told, and I've had only had a couple of very direct um, um, inspirational events where I was given material, and in the one that was clear as day, I was told, you have not got a clue. You, Everything that you think is wrong. In fact, it's exactly the opposite of what you think it is. And that's what we always have to keep in the back of our mind, is we're being given these these ideas in the physical world, and we're re rehashing these ideas that we've been taught as we got brought up, and we've twisted it around. René Descartes, who came up with the scientific method, actually said, people say, well, you've got to be skeptical. And uh, so René Descartes, the way he described it, if you go back and describe it, is no, you don't have to be skeptical of new ideas. You have to be skeptical of your old ideas. That's what he said. I need to tear down everything I believe. And that's, I think, what we've got to do. We've got to realize that a lot of the stuff we believe that we have gathered and put together is wrong. It's wrong. And, and what the paranormal phenomena is showing us is 
there's something to discover here. If the world was the way we say it would be, these things would not be happening. It's the 5% that Gary Nolan talks about outside the curve. You look at the 5%, the anomalies, and that will tell you why something is happening. It's not the person is telling a lie. It's the person is telling the truth, and they're giving you a hint that something you believe is not right. So you have this constant thing about out-of-body experiences involving uh, um, uh, experiences, and 80% of experiences say they've had out-of-body experiences. Now, here's Seth. I've gone I mean, now back in the recent years to channelers. I really believe strongly in in uh, channelers, in the material, that because they, they're all basically saying the same thing. People say, oh, they all said different stuff. Absolute garbage. I have read this stuff. They're all saying the same thing. And here's this idea that we, if we go back to this, Seth says, consciousness does not take up any space. You must understand this. So if awareness is there and awareness is looking back at the body, awareness is consciousness. It doesn't take up any space. It's all there at that one point in space and time or whatever you want to call it. It's, it's just there. How big is the universe? It's no bigger. It doesn't have any space at all. We're making these assumptions that there's this huge universe when in fact consciousness is all there is, this awareness, and it doesn't take up any space. So um, Seth is a, another one. This is this idea that we believe that we, we're in these physical bodies and, and, the, and the, the, spirit, the spirits are coming to us. Seth said to Jane Roberts, I am in this room. Although I have no object within which you can place me, you are just as disembodied as I am. You have a vehicle to use, a body that you can call your own, and that is all. We're all, we're all disembodied, and from time to time we'll go into a body and we'll occupy this body. But we are all the same thing. We're, we're these, these, these essences that make up the, the one, or as Bashar says, the one is the all, the all are the one. This is, I've pushed this for many years. Uh, I'm not getting very far, but I'm absolutely certain that this is going to be true. I talked about uh, an experiment. I talked about it with, with, uh, with um, um, Alan a couple times. Uh, Jay-Z Knight did a test a number of years ago. Uh, Ramtha, who she was channeling, wanted to do this test. She did three DNA tests. She did one and did three different samples, one when she was completely normal, one when she was channeling Ramtha. And what these three uh, different labs brought back was the fact that when she was um, normal, she was a female from with French background, I think it was. And when she was channeling, her DNA completely changed. She was male, had a male DNA, and she had a um, she was from Iceland or some some sort of thing like that. It was completely different. So everybody say, okay, Jane Roberts made the story up. It's all garbage, whatever. It made sense because if you know with with people who have um, multiple personality disorders, you'll hear these stories all the time. Oh, the person's eye color changed. Uh, this, you know, they, they didn't have the disease. One could see, one couldn't see properly. They had to wear glasses, all this kind of stuff. That's all DNA. And so we have this understanding, oh, DNA is this physical thing and it, it programs us or whatever. This destroys that idea. It basically says, you got to rethink DNA. What is DNA actually? If everything is consciousness, you've got to start forgetting about the physical aspect of this thing. And you've got to realize there may be an aspect that all you're seeing is a reflection of something that is much more intricate and much more complex. So she had this test. So I said, all right, well, everybody said, well, I don't listen to her. No. I said, well, why don't we just do another experiment? Why don't we just go out there and look? If it's not true, we should be easily able to prove it. We can go to trans channelers, not sort of uh, relay channelers who are relaying messages back and forth because the, the channeler will still be in possession of their of their consciousness. But when you start looking at um, people who trans channel, 
So Lynn Buchanan is on the left-hand side. Now, these are stories that when I see them, I go, wow, this, this, this proves it again. Lynn Buchanan was given a target, remote viewing target, when he was in the military. He was given a target to go into Saddam Hussein's head. And he talked about this mind-melding thing that they actually claim that the, the remote viewers can do this. They can get into somebody's head and they can try to change their ideas or whatever. He went into his head and the report was, and he, he's talked about this a few times, when he got in Saddam Hussein, his eyes turned to brown. His eyes color changed. Paul Selleck on the right-hand side. Paul Selleck always talks about, and you'll hear him if you hear him talk. He talks about it all the time. He says, you know, when, when I channel, people say, my eyes turn this bright blue. And I've never seen it because I can't see it. But I ask people, do you see it? Oh, yeah, your eyes turn bright blue. So I knew. I knew there had to be some connection. And I'm thinking, he's talking about his spirit guides. And I waited, and finally he said it. I've seen my one spirit guide a number of times. And he's this guy, he had this scroll, and he describes this this first time that he met him coming over this mountain, and he came down, and he had this, these bright blue eyes. And there you see it. So the, you've got to question this thing, is how much is actually physical? Is consciousness actually DNA? And when you change the consciousness in the body, and you have a trans channel, and you put another consciousness in there, is that DNA going to change? If it does, the world is on its head. Everything people believe is going to be wrong. And I keep insisting that we run this experiment. I've tried it. I've talked to Bashar. He had agreed to do this test. There was a couple of people who had agreed to do this test. This would revolutionize the world if this turns out to be true, that when a trans-channeler channels, uh, uh, the, the, the DNA changes. And that would totally revolutionize the world because we'd have to rethink the whole idea of physical DNA. Here's, here's going, well, going back to this, this slide here. The thing is, what's really going on? What is... We, we, we assume we're sitting and looking out the eyes and we're, we're interpreting stuff and the souls and the body and stuff like this. But if you take a look at what is happening in history, and I'm going to get more into uh, um, talking about the first one. When Jesus is, is, is dealing with, the, with the, the Pharisees, now people say, oh, skeptics, you know, we've got to be a skeptic. Well, skeptics were around in the, in the biblical days. The skeptics in the biblical day were the Pharisees. They were jab, jabbing Jesus all the time. And they asked about the kingdom of God. Okay, so when's kingdom of God coming? And, the, and, and, and I'll get a, in more detail, but I'll just give you the short version here. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. Physicist John Wheeler, is, he, had the, he had two things. It is one thing. He said, there is no out there out there. Now, what did he mean by that? Is that the uh, absolute concept that there, there is no out there out there? There's no time and space. This is all uh, illusion. People have had a lot of debates about it. And he also had this other thing, whereas was that that reality did not come until something was observed. And the um, he had one other thing, but it's just to state my mind, where uh, he, he understood this concept, that it, it's much more complex than what you would see. Here's the one that Stephen Greer uses all the time. Uh, he talks in his meditation, he talks about the Sufi uh, quote, Does thou recognize self only as a puny form when within thee the in the universe is enfolded. Is it true that you, your consciousness, you have the five, the two trillion galaxies inside your consciousness, you have the stars, the planets, everything is inside your consciousness, or is it out there, out there? And people seem to be indicating over and over again, it actually may just be all within yourself. If you talk to people, the head guy for out-of-body experiences, he said the same thing. When you have an out-of-body experience, you don't go out of your body, you go into your body. Everything is within you. This is the concept that looks more like, as I go along, this looks like this is exactly what's going to be. 
And this turns everything upside down. That's why I'm saying it's like 1492. We haven't got a clue. We are absolutely out to lunch as to what we're doing. And all we're doing is taking the program, conditioned mind, and we're, re we're moving these blocks around and trying to make them work. And all the blocks are wrong. Here's Deepak Chopra. You are not in the world. The world is in you. So this is the concept where I think we're going with this whole thing. And then you start to you can start to explain when the people are flying the craft. And I'll get into this. Uh, this is another one. Consciousness does not exist in the body. The body exists in within your consciousness. Do you understand the difference? And I think that was Seth that said that. Uh, or no, that's Bashar. Do you understand the difference? The body exists within your consciousness. And that's this idea of looking back from an out-of-body experience. The awareness, the consciousness is there. And everything is in that consciousness. Here's uh, one of my uh, Scott pilots. Um, this is the um, Peter Whit uh, Whitley from, um, he's the head of MIFON for um, uh, Japan. Uh, he, his experience started by going to a session. He was always into meditation his whole life. He went to a session at the Monroe Institute and suddenly uh, picked up out-of-body experience. He was able to do this at, at will. He could do it all the time. I think he said he had done 22 sessions the last time I interviewed him. He said he was going to start doing them again. But what he basically does, he goes into the out-of-body state and then he goes and talks to the, he goes on the ship. He goes to talk to the greys. He can go wherever he wants. And you'll see this over and over again with people who have out-of-body experiences. They can go wherever they want. They can do whatever they want. It, it, the mind is the builder. Or as, as Bashar said, or not Bashar, Edgar Cayce, the spirit is the life. The mind is the builder. And the physical is the result. So he can go in an out-of-body state and he go onto the craft. And, and in this book, the and I call it the UFO Sky Pilot, uh, the book, he tells his story of going on, interacting, uh, how they pull material, um, all the engagements he had, and it's all done through out-of-body experience. All his stuff is done through out-of-body experience. Here's uh, Rebecca Castle, um, who was the one involved with John Podesta with trying to get a, a meeting for, for Edgar Mitchell with um, Edgar Mitchell about UFOs with Barack Obama. Um, she's flown the craft, and she talks the same thing, and everybody will repeat the same thing. The craft is alive. The craft is a conscious being. She puts her hands on this panel, and whatever she thinks is what the craft does. And she, I think she did it as a small child. So she's one of them. Uh, here's uh, Gerald Pratt from uh, Liverpool, England, another one that basically says this is out-of-body experience. And he talks about being on the craft. And uh, these people are flying the craft. And he says, uh, can I have a go at it? And he said a couple of important things, which you'll see cross over into all the other paranormal phenomena, is he said as soon as he put the, he was told to put his hand on a panel on the wall. As soon as he put his hand on the panel, he said, I could suddenly see in 360 degrees. This is something you'll see in out-of-body experience, near-death experience. You'll see it all over the place. This is another one of these absurd things that, that, that Jack Ballet talks about, this it's not something you want to make up. Oh, I can see in 360 degrees. This is absolutely nuts. But people in out-of-body experiences, in these uh, abduction experiences on board the ship, will say, I can see in 360 degrees. And that's what he said. And he lifted the craft up, and he said he could suddenly see through the walls of the craft. As soon as the, he put his hand on the panel, he became one with the craft, and whatever he thought is what the craft does. So he, his mind just basically told what he wanted to do. Here's Chris Bledsoe. Chris Bledsoe is very famous. Um, for his experience, when I heard he'd flown the craft, I said, Chris, I, I don't stop talking. I don't want to, I want to get this on tape. I phoned him up on Skype. I recorded the phone conversation. I've got it on my uh, UFO consciousness uh, uh, podcast. 
And uh, he tells the whole story in five minutes. He talks about very bizarre things. He talks about the fact that the craft is alive. The craft is a conscious being. And that when he went into the craft, it was multiple times bigger on the inside as it was. Terry Lovelace tells the same story, that it was the size of a football field inside. Uh, Hal Putoff has talked about this. Uh, I've always wondered, how, how, does this, how do people describe this? And when they go in the craft, it's way bigger inside the craft than it is outside. Then you're starting to look at the fact, this may not be as physical as you think it is. This may be something else. And even Bashar, I think, well, I may have it coming up here, but here's what Chris, here's what Chris said. You become a part of that machine, that metal, that ship. It almost has like a soul to it. The craft does. It maybe becomes you into the future, into the machine somehow. It is very intelligent. And he talked about this and everybody, it's almost like they're reading off a cue card. They're all telling the same sort of story. The craft is alive. You become one with the craft. And whatever you think is what the craft does. Here's Chris's uh, drawing that he made for me. This is the, there was four beings. He was standing on the far wall there. There's a panel board on the right-hand side there. And there's this pedestal. And what he was told is to put his hand on this pedestal. And he said once he put his hand on the pedestal, uh, this, these lights started to come off the, the, the pedestal, and you could see where his handprint was, and uh, different variations. Um, and then these, these octagon things started to swirl in the walls, and the craft started getting, uh, uh, these octagons got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and then all of a sudden the window opened up, and he said, I was cross-legged on the floor, looking out the window, flying down the Cape Fear River a couple of inches off the water. And that's where he'd been taken in 2007, going, yeah, it's flying this craft with no, not touching anything, sitting there, and the whole craft is, is moving at his will. Here's what Bashar says. So you see these parallels over and over again. Everybody's starting to talk about the same thing, almost like the veil is thin, and, and we're about to be learn this thing. Our ships, this is Bashar talking, our ships, in a sense, are grown. That's what all the 36 people told me. The crafts are alive. They have this ability to shift their shape over and over again, this idea that the craft can be way bigger, and even within the cabin to provide what we need. So they can change the shape of it, the size of it, depending on what they need, uh, when we need it. And when we don't need it, it simply absorbs back into the walls, or the floors, or the ceilings. It's all made out of the same seamless material, like it's grown. But it's the idea is they can change the ship to appear as whatever they want, and that's one of the problems we have with UFO sightings. Everybody's gathering these UFO sayings, not realizing that the UFO can appear as whatever it wants. There are almost no almost no two UFOs that look the same. There are almost no two grays that look the same. It's almost like they're they look like leaves on a tree, but when you look close or you see oh it's actually not the same. That they can change. It's and that would indicate a consciousness thing. That the consciousness is creating whatever whatever shape they want, depending on what size they want or whatever they need. It's very, very plastic, almost like a psychedelic experience or a near death experience where you realize that it becomes very plastic and you are able to control the environment as to whatever you see is what appears. Here's Ron Johnson, who uh, talked, and this is a parallel crosses over into the spirit world. And there is this very direct connection to the spirit world. Ron Johnson has recorded this over 50 years, uh, all his experiences over 50 years. This is LB, this is the being that he deals with. And um, he was told to fly the craft. He's told to sit in a seat, which a lot of people are, and put his fingers into these little holes in the seat. And the, it was, he said it was, the seat was as if it was built for him. It was completely fit his body. And I asked, I asked, what am I supposed to do? So the, the LB says, it's all inside you. All you have to do is think, and the ship will respond to what you want to do. It's all inside you. There is no out there, out there. I said, 
like I'd like to go out in deep space and see the Milky Way from a distance. It took maybe a second or so, and all of a sudden, we come to a stop way out somewhere, and I'm looking at the Milky Way from a distance. One second to out there. So tell me that's physical. That's something else going on, and that's this idea it's all with inside you, that you're moving around inside you. The whole reality, your whole existence is happening in your consciousness. And Ron points this out. He also pointed out another thing that Pat, and you see this over and over again when you start looking at these experiences, you see these parallels. So I'm talking to Ron, and he's, he gets three visions in the spirit world. LB takes him in the spirit world. And the third one, he's with his mother. Second one, he's with his mother. He can't see his mother. Third one, he's with his mother. He's actually walking around with her in, the, in what he calls like a heavenly type place with, you know, beautiful. And he says, he's a, he's an LDS guy. So he says, my mother shows me this. It looks like a temple, in the, a small temple in Nephi, uh, Utah. And she says, Ron, when you die, you're going to go into, you're going to get a room in this, in this, in this building. And he said, when I went in the building, he said, it's the weirdest thing. He said, it was like 10 to 100 times the size inside the building as it was outside the building. And I go, I said to myself, hey, that's exactly what the UFO people are saying about the UFO. So is he in a, is he in a temple in Nephi, Utah? Is he in a UFO? It seems to be the same principle. And this is, again, these absurd things. That if you're going to make up a story, you're not going to say, oh, I went in a building that was like 100 times the size in the building. It was right. It doesn't make any sense. So you see these parallels over and over again between the spirit world and the UFO world. And it all, I would say, is going to link back to consciousness. It's all consciousness. It's all within yourself. It's all happening in your consciousness. Here's uh, Jean Kamira. She, I just interviewed her. She's in the book. Uh, she was taken in, uh, where was she, in L.A.? No. And she was on the, on the West Coast somewhere with three, two other women. They were in a tent. She and a second woman were taken. The third woman, who was at, which said never talked, she said never talked to her again after this happened, uh, was left in the tent for some reason. So they were taken to this craft, and they were they were shown this panel, and she they said, "What would you like to go?" And uh, so her and this other woman were going around the universe, and she um, actually said um, to, to to them, uh, "Well, how, how does this work?" And he said, "You have to see it inside yourself." It's, it's within you. Think, imagine it in your head, and we'll and then push the button, and that's where we'll go. And she said, they did it. Both her and this other woman were doing this. They would, they would do this, imagine where they wanted to go, and they were going all over the place. And you see this again, the crossovers. If you take a look, I just did an interview, which I'll, I'll hopefully post on um, my Paranormal UFO Consciousness podcast, with um, Ingrid Honkala, who worked for the U.S. Navy. She worked for NASA. She's a, an oceanographer, a Ph.D., she had a near-death experience when she was three years old, just before three years old in Columbia, where she was. She grew up. And she tells the story, again, you see this parallel. She says, I'm out of my body, I'm floating around, and I go to the housekeeper, and I see she's watching a soap opera, and then suddenly, oh, I'm over my mother, and my mother is going to the bus stop. And my mother instantaneously knew something was wrong, turned around and started running back to the house. She had drowned in a pool in the, in the, in the back of the, on the patio. And her sister was sitting there uh, playing with her, and uh, she said, and, and then my mother, so my mother started running back and I went, oh, okay. And then she said, I saw this dog at the end of, I saw this dog at the end of the street. And I went, oh, a dog, I love dogs. And she said, instantaneously, she was with the dog. And then she saw this park off in the distance. And she said, oh, a park. And boom, she was instantly in the park. And she started to play this game. She'd see a tree. Boom, she'd instantly be at the tree. It was this idea. She was moving around instantaneously based upon where she wanted to go with her mind. It was all within her. She was doing this. So you see these parallels over and over again with these near-death experiences, 
with these abduction experiences, with all, all this kind of stuff, to show us this key component that we may have all this stuff wrong and everything may be an activity inside consciousness. We want to turn it into nouns. We want to have, oh, there's seven levels, and there's these this, and there's this, and there's colors, and this. There's nothing. There's just one thing. It's just consciousness. And as, as Deepak Chopra says, everything is an activity inside consciousness. There are no nouns. As soon as someone does, starts describing nouns, it's wrong. It's, it, it's a verb. It's all alive. It's all, and it's, it's, it's almost like, as I described now, God did not create the heaven and the earth. God created the sparks of the divine. And the sparks of the divine created the heaven and the earth. We are creating the universe with thought. It's all made out of consciousness. We are creating it. We create the good and we create the bad. We create the duality. It is up to us, but it's this world and we're making this interesting Hollywood movie and, and God is watching this thing. But it's all there. The idea that there's an out there, out there, there's some, some Illuminati that's going to eat us or evil aliens or whatever. We're creating it all. It's all us creating what's happening inside of us and it's all done with consciousness consciousness is primary here's this 360 degree vision thing which you'll see over and over and over again and i didn't even know this existed until i started looking at this this whole thing this is another one of the things that i think has been totally ignored it's extremely important and that is the blindfold reading um, i have encouraged uh the, the kids in australia they actually started an olympic team i said hey, we need to promote this thing because basically what you have is a small kid who's maybe five or six years old, you can teach a kid, put a blindfold, and these are very high-end blindfolds. you ever seen how they work, uh, they, they, there's no way you can see out of these things. You can put on a kid five, six years old, or four or five, six years old. Within a couple of minutes, the kid can see colors. You can have kids reading books with blindfolds on. And people say, that's not possible. No, it's, no, it's garbage. You're peeking. No, it's the whole idea. Where is the consciousness? Where are you actually seeing out of your eyes? This absolutely proves you're not seeing out of your eyes. And what they show is this is Rob Freeman, my friend, that you can take a, a colored piece of paper and you can the person can sit on it and, and, and determine what color it is, put it behind your head, above your head, and it's not looking at a certain area. It's this 360-degree vision that the consciousness is, 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 is not being seen through the eyes, almost like the near-death experience thing where they did the study with 33 people who were blind and they had well, 13 people who had never seen in their life had a near-death experience and they could see. And they've never seen it in their life. And that's the whole idea. What's actually doing the scene? This is extremely important. It keeps getting ignored. There's groups all around the world. It was actually invented by the um, Indonesian military. This whole idea that they take guys and put bags over their head and throw them out of planes and they had to uh, operate in, in with these blindfolds on. It just proves conclusively that you can see. And the other thing they report with these kids that I've, I've interviewed some of these kids, where as soon as you have it, you also become, you can see things in the future where you can be driving along with a blindfold and you know something's coming around the car. Watch out, something's coming. And, and this is the whole idea. It's all tied together. But consciousness is not in the brain. Uh, I just put this one because it's kind of, uh, I just found it, I thought it'd be kind of interesting for people who are into the, you know, the the whole thing about what's going on with the government. This is uh, Senator Barry Goldwater. I got his entire collection of papers from the University of Arizona. 1981, he said, relative to your question about the accuracy of the details in the Roswell incident, that was a book written by Bill Moore in 1980. It got the whole thing going. Uh, he was he was head of the Senate Intelligence Committee. So now you've got Senate Intelligence Committee working on it. Barry Goldwater's head of the Senate Intelligence Committee in 81. Uh, they are partially true. The story, the Roswell story, partially true, but not completely. I can't give you any other answer other than that. So please don't push it. That's in a Barry Goldwater level. I just want to stick that. Here, here's the beings. They're coming out with a documentary. I think it's around Google 
whatever. I don't, I don't follow these, these services, but it's coming out, and there, there's a book. I was helping put the book together, but I, I'm sort of strapped down with a bunch of stuff that I, I didn't get it. So they're going to do the book. These are two um, um, uh, women with dyslexia in um, Great Britain, and you'll see a lot of people have dyslexia, a lot of experiences of dyslexia, almost like that's the part that triggers these people are into this other world. And they, these are called the beings. These are the ones, either I interviewed them or somebody, somebody interviewed them, and we said, because you see they got no faces. And that's the whole concept is they don't want you to see them as human beings. They're just they're just beings. They call themselves the beings. And I remember I, either I asked them or somebody else asked them, hey, are you an extraterrestrial? Are you extraterrestrials? And the, what they responded was, oh, do you want us to be extraterrestrials? We could do that. We could be extraterrestrials. We could even take care of our planet if you want. But no, we've always been here. You're the visitor. And you see this over and over again. And these are the, the beings, when this documentary comes out, you'll see it over and over again. They just say, it's an illusion. Get it through your head. It's an illusion. Everybody's dead. It's all an illusion. It's all just, it's, it's happening. You're creating this thing. Sit back and enjoy it. And that comes to this whole idea that's now starting to move in the, in the scientific community. So it's starting to come together. Is this idea of the simulated universe. But in the simulated universe, oh, there's somebody running a computer. No, it's the, it's the, it's the sparks of the divine that are, that are running and creating this whole simulated universe thing, but you'll start to see this, and a lot of um, a lot of experiencers are dealing with beings who are starting to talk about this idea. Almost like we they wouldn't talk to us in 1940s, 50s, 60s because we don't know what the heck they're talking about. But now they're starting to talk about this this idea. It's an illusion. It's all being created in the mind. Um, here's one message. Here's what they said. But this is from the beings, and there's actually two women or two who are in contact getting messages from the same beings. There is no good or bad, just experiences, even though it may not seem that way. The earthly realm is an illusion, which you and all other humans chose to create to comprehend the meaning of energy. No human has the power to uh, extinct the earthly realm. No need to fear the experiences that humans chose for themselves. Enjoy and have fun in this puzzle called life. That had to do with the vision that I had, that I asked them, I said, hey, can the government actually do this? You'll hear about it down the road. I'm, I'm not really sort of talking about now, but I said, can the government actually do this? And I had this sort of encounter, and, they, and that's when they said, it's, it's all illusion. I mean, you, you keep forgetting the thought here. It's all illusion. I knew that, and they sort of brought me back to reality and said, that, that's the way it works. Here's Nancy Tremaine. I helped her publish her first book, and I wrote the forward to her second book. She was the first um, to encounter the Greys publicly. Uh, she's written two books on the subject. She was taken in July of 1961. This is what she wrote in the middle of the night. Uh, realities or illusions are part of the delusion that we have created. We are living in a delusional illusion of our making. We are players in this fictional theater that we perform for our creators. A muse existing for our audience. The stage is set at birth and our performance has begun. She wrote that, woke up, and it was on a piece of paper beside her. That fits the, the quote that I always use now, all the world's a stage, all the men and women, and aliens are but actors. They have their entrances and exits, and each man plays many roles. You are not the actor on the stage. You are playing an actor on the stage. Big difference. You are the one that's watching. You are the observer floating above the body, and the, the little actor is lying in the bed. You have to keep this in mind. We are in charge of the whole thing. It's all within us. Um, it is all an illusion. This, this is Desta Barnaby, who's written two channeling books. 
And when I go back and look at her channeling books, I, I would suggest people read my assistant Best of Barnaby's channeling books. She is right. I could not believe. Here's what she said. I went to look it up. It is all an illusion you have made with your mind. Everything you see now, know it is you, and you gain control, and you can have what you want. It is endless because you are eternal. And the concept is when you realize you're creating it, you get control of it. If you are the victim, then you are the victim. You float around like a cork going down a stream. Once you realize you are the one that's creating the illusion, you have a chance to change it because you're the one creating it. Um, now, here, let's get rid of this thing. Um, here's, here's, here's this question about um, Jesus with the Pharisees. Being a, he was asked by the Pharisees, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus answered to them, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, look here or there. And that's this whole idea. Is it out there? For this, you see, the kingdom of God is within you. And this is the mistake we're making. We're believing this is out there thing where we're, we're seeing through our eyes and this sort of stuff. And Jesus, it goes back 2,000 years where Jesus said, no one will say, look here or there. For the kingdom of God is within you. And that goes back to this idea. It's all in consciousness. And it may not take any space. It's like the singularity. It's like the, the whole thing about, oh, how did the universe get created? Oh, it came out of a singularity. It came out of nothing. And I go, yeah, come on, give your head a shake. Like, how does this work? What's a singularity? Well, it's something that doesn't obey the laws of time, uh, uh, physics. And this is what it may be, a singularity, one singularity. And you are the singularity, and it's all within you. You created it. And when you go from lifetime to lifetime, you just go back in there, and you create another thing, and you create another um, a game to play. And we just go through this over and over again, and we are the creators of the universe. Um, the Seth Channel again. The responsibility for your life and your world is yours. It has not been forced upon you by some outside agency. You form your own dreams and you form your own physical reality. The world is what you are. It is the physical materialization of the inner self which have formed it. Again, you see this over and over again now, that this idea that we are creating this physical universe. Here's uh, Jim Semivan who uh, had the experience with the beings. And here's what he says. People will say, well, you know, they, they, these bad guys or whatever. It's very important. I think she's listening to Jim Semivan. He's very honest, and he's trying to come to grips with what happened to him. And here's what he said. How do you make any sense of it when there does not appear to be any there, there? The phenomenon seems to work on another level, consciousness, dimension, unknown to our science. It does not appear to be any there, there. It all just sort of dissolves. And here's a guy who probably knows more than you and I. He's got some contacts. He's good friends with Kit Green and all the guys in the Invisible College and all these guys. He's had some conversations. He's never really expressed what he means by that, but it's this whole idea that the physical world starts to fall apart. The DMT experiment. So I had a friend who's an AI expert. I remember him phoning me up one day and he said, hey, I had, a, I had a, an abduction experiment. I had to doing DMT. I had this classic abduction experience. I said, you had a classic abduction experience? And I knew the Strassman when he did the experiment, that he kept it very secret. These people were talking about having these encounters with beings. And he kept it secret because he couldn't grasp it. He said to people, hey, do you think you're abducted? And they were like, no, I don't think I was abducted. And they were on a table. They were watching them. They gave them, like, it's like a 10-minute session or whatever. So Strassman knew they weren't going anywhere. They were on the, they were on the, on the, on the, the bed. And 
So I asked my friend, I said, well, tell me about it. He said, well, I was on the table, and they were working on my head. He said, I could see their arms. I couldn't see them, but it looked like, like, like beings, and I was there. And this is the whole thing. So he's in the classic abduction experience, which apparently 25% of all the DMT people also experience is the classic abduction experience of being operated on or being on a table and that sort of thing. And he didn't go anywhere. He was lying on a couch for 10 minutes. He didn't go anywhere. So where actually was he? And this is this concept. He went within, the same as the out-of-body experience goes within. It's all within. He went within himself and had that experience. And it's very classic, and you can, you can create whatever you want. Well, let's get going, because we want to get everything here. i got so much material. Um, John Wheeler, the, the universe does not exist out there, independent of us. Now, John Wheeler is the guy that came up with the black hole theory and the wormhole theory. He's not a stupid guy. He was a Princeton. He was the, you know, after after Einstein. Uh, and he was, he also came up with the very bizarre idea there's only one electron. And that gets into the same sort of thing. You really know what's going on when Wheeler said, hey, I think there's only one electron. It's moving back and forth in the universe. There's only one electron. So he said, the universe does not exist out there, independent of us. We are inescapably involved in bringing about that which appears to be happening. We are not only observers. We are uh, participators. In some strange sense, this is a participatory universe. And that's the point. We are creating the universe. We're creating it. We are the thing. And no nothing comes into the physical until it's observed. It's this idea that we are manifesting physical reality however this is done to heavier vibration or whatever, we are the ones that are running the show. Here's Niels Bohr. Everything we call real is made of things that cannot be regarded as real. Now, Niels Bohr won the, won the Nobel Prize for the, for the atom, for the quantum atom. Now, he should know what he's talking about. And, and what happened is all these early guys were idealists. They believed that consciousness was primary. And when we got to World War II, then suddenly it was technology. And we moved away from this consciousness thing, and we got into... Hey, what's the technology? How did this thing fly? How's that metal working? And we go into this whole thing about, you know, is there a buck in it for me? And can we get, you know, cheaper gas? And, and can we uh, go in for a weekend trip to Mars and stuff like that? It becomes this sort of physical thing that takes over. But the early guys believed that consciousness was primary. Paul Selleck is one that I watch very, very closely. Uh, they say, ultimately, there is only one note. One note being played in the universe. And it's being articulated in different forms. So there's, it's really saying everything is a source of God or whatever you want to call that power that you, that you may know. Vibration, whatever you want to name it, it is as everything. Uh, is that... No, it's not making sense. It's just one oscillation. He said it, it, it's one note played in various levels to infinite levels. It's all one note. It's the same idea. There's only one electron. John Wheeler called uh, Richard Feynman one day and said, Feynman. I know why all electrons have the same charge and the same mass. Why, said Feynman? Because they're all the same electron. Our universe evolved from a singularity, a point of infinite density and gravity, and that before this event, time, space did not exist. The same would apply to uh, our point of consciousness, that it's all a point of singularity, and that when you get out of it, there, there, the time and space do not exist. We, we assume this, that, that all this is there. We're only seeing this very small spectrum of, of reality. We've got to always remember that. We think we've got it all figured out. Like, like um, Max Planck's professor in 1874 said, hey, Max, don't go into physics. we got it all figured out. You're wasting your time. And, of course, that was total nonsense. Uh, here's, again, this is uh, Ingrid Honkala. I would absolutely advise you to listen to what she says because she's a, a top-notch scientist who told me some of the stuff she did to the U.S. Navy. Uh, wherever I put my mind, I could go. 
time and space had vanished for me. I could be anywhere at any time. Saw a dog at the end of the street, was instantly there. Saw a tree, was instantly there. Edgar Mitchell, um, this is this whole thing where they did these, um, the, 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 the experiment where, um, in, with the 3,200 experiencers, and it was running. A lot of people said, oh, the data isn't very uh, straight. I, you know, I don't think the data. It was done by John Climo. John Climo did 220 PhD dissertations. He chaired them. He was also a reader on 150 dissertations on how to gather data. The material in the free survey is correctly gathered. This guy had 370 dissertations he did. According to people who had to know how to put the data down, he would correct people's papers about how to correct the data. So they did the, the experiences. Here's what you find. Uh, healing, 50%. Um, and the, you have in the, um, the near-death experience, other things, uh, healed from lung problems. That was uh, Ankala, uh, orbs. Um, 67% of experiences see orb. Uh, Ankala saw a blue orb in the shower. That's when she started to see the energy beings. The energy beings are the number one being seen in the free survey, 55%. So she saw this blue orb, which is, oh, these are blue meanies, they're the bad guys. And I saw, it was bad? No, it wasn't bad. It was, it was, it was really revol revolutionary to her exper experience. Dead people. Uh, uh, Whitley Strieber's wife read, read the 200,000 letters with the secretary and came into Whitley and said, Whitley, whatever we're dealing with here has something to do with death. Dead people. 76% of experiences see dead people on board the ship. They're more, they're more psychic. This is with Honkala with the near-earth experience. Same thing. Brilliant light, 52%. Uh, Honkala, yes. Mystical being identifying, uh, identified voice. Same thing with Honkala had the voice, near-earth experience. This is uh, the other bizarre one where people say, oh, it's just random. You just got grabbed off the street by some alien. He abducted you or whatever. So you have that random event, and then you find out that 37% of all people who are randomly were abducted off the street also have them randomly have near-earth experiences, and most of them have two near-earth experiences. So what's the chances that somebody's going to have a random abduction experience and then a random near-death experience? Or are they coming to the Earth to create a, a, a reality with their mind that says, oh, I have a near-death experience. I can learn something from that. And I'll also be an experiencer and I'll learn something from that. So you have that. Out-of-body experience, I mentioned before, 80% of all experiencers have uh, out-of-body experiences. Love and oneness was the main message to, to Hankala and to a lot of the, the uh, different modalities, near-death experience and uh, OBEs and stuff, 54% of the experiences were talked about oneness and love. And that doesn't make any sense. You know, it's going to talk to you about oneness and love. Past life memory, yes, in both cases. Sensitive to other realities, yes, along with those blindfold kids. They're sensitive to other realities as well, once they put those blindfolds on. Uh, at peace, yes. Um, and quiet. Uncle, I said she would lock herself in bedrooms and closets to try to get away from the noise to, to regain this sound. Uh, ghosts or spirits, uh, 76% of experiences had seen ghosts or spirits, and of course, Honkala sees them all the time. Desire to help others, 51%, and Inga Honkala, that's her main mission, she believes, is here to help people. Um, and I'll just get into a little bit of this stuff, because this negative stuff that's going around about the uh, Skinwalker Ranch, and oh, these hitchhikers, and this is terrible, and we're victims, and we're not, it's not our consciousness, it's these evil things that are doing stuff. So this is my friend Ron Johnson. And I talked to him, and I knew this already, so I asked Ron, I said, hey, you ever, have a, you ever have a hitchhiker come with you? And he said, oh, yeah. So he tells the story. He says, he set up his camera in front of a, a large, a big mausoleum. He does a lot of ghost hunting. I pounded on the door of the mausoleum and invited him to come out for a photo. And he had the camera all set. He says, a black mass started to manifest between me and the mausoleum. And it made it gave me the hackles to stand up, stood up on my neck. I got one photo of it. 
then broke everything down and left. This black mass followed me home, and it took me over five years to finally get rid of it. It had followed me to three different homes that I had moved into. And this is the whole point. So the Skinwalker Ranch book place all these, these evil things that are following people home. Anybody who know, has done paranormal phenomena knows that unless you, you guard yourself, unless you get, you're going to get a hitchhiker. It's very common in paranormal phenomena, ghost hunting and stuff like that, where the phenomena follows you home. And um, Jacques Vallée, oh, there's another interesting thing where you see these crossovers. Jacques Vallée discovered that many gifted remote viewers also had UAP-type experiences going back to their childhoods. When it turned out that many of these subjects had experienced UFOs, they brought me into the project on a strictly confidential basis to document that aspect of the problem, Jack Ballet told, said, told Brent Williams. So this is the whole thing. They, they understand this concept, that there's this connection across. In fact, one high-level um, um, intelligence guy, I put a message to to see whether he actually said this, and what they said was, because we cannot control the phenomena, we watch the people that the phenomena affects. And there may be visitors, however defined. And this is the whole idea, that you have to listen to the experiences. They're the ones interacting. What we're doing now is we're doing Rendlesham Forest. Rendlesham Forest is a UFO sighting. Time to get over it. Oh, we're looking at the Nimitz. The Nimitz is a UFO sighting. Time to get over it. We've got to quit looking at the, the entertainment. hundred years ago, we used entertainment. We used seances to entertain people. Like, oh, we got nothing to do there. Let's, let's get, bring in some dead people. Now we're doing the UFO thing. You got a good photo? You got a good video? That's a, you got a good story? And we've heard the Nimitz thing. It's just a UFO setting. You've got to talk to people interacting with the phenomenon. You start to realize, oh, this person is flying the craft. And they all say the same thing. Wherever I decided, the 747 airline pilot said, I had the dream one year. And then he says, and then a year later, I told um, Joe Burks, hey, I had that dream again. And Joe said, you better, uh, you better uh, uh, record this. Because this is something going on. This is not a dream. And that's what everybody said. When I talked to the, the uh, U.S. Air Force retired colonel in, in L.A., I, see, I said, you flew, you flew F-16s? He said, yeah. And I said, hey, uh, come tell me your story. He said, oh, I think it was a dream. I said, everybody thinks it's a dream. Just come tell me your story. It was the same thing. He's standing in the craft. He, he's standing there. There's beings behind him. He doesn't know what they are. And I, I, I tend to indicate it may be soul guys behind him. And he's standing there, and he's standing in the middle of the craft, and they and he hears this voice and says, "Okay, go ahead and do it." And he he says, "I don't know what to do." You know what to do. Just do it. And he walks over to this panel. And he puts his hands on the panel, and he said, "Suddenly, it's like he's flying that F-16." Suddenly, he's flying the craft. He's like, "What the heck's going on here?" And he, and then he takes one hand off the cra- off the panel, and he's waiting for the craft to stall. And then then he takes his other hand off the panel, and and he figures it's going to stall, but he keeps it a couple inches off so he can slam it back down on the panel to to start the craft again. And he says he's got both hands off the panel, and it, whatever he's thinking is what he's doing. He's flying around. And then you see this over and over again. So this book will be coming out, and it starts to show you this power of consciousness, that this may all be consciousness. The physical world is this sort of program, the world that we live in, and we and the more we live that conscious world, the physical world, the less we're going to understand. But when you can break that down and realize it's all consciousness, it's all this simulated universe thing, we can start to figure things out. Um this is the, and, and they understand this. This is what I point out. They understand this. This is Diaposalka talking about being going to this field where my friend actually showed uh, Tyler D where this where this field was. Um, and she talked about it. They were treating it like it was sacred. So you have this high-level NASA guy who is, is treating it like it's secret. When we went out there, we prayed. They were just praying. So I went along with it. 
Every time Tyler goes out there, he puts up an altar. There are a bunch of these altars out there, some put up by him and some by other people. And it's on a government it's on a government site with a fence. It is a sacred place. That's why I call it the sacred place. And they talk about the gifting, that the material is gifted. So a lot of the people inside the government, even though they may not say it, understand this concept. This is not as physical as you think it is. And that may be what the cover-up is, because it's a physical world. And if they suddenly say the world isn't what you think it is, it's not important all the stuff you're, you're rape, pillars, kill, and steal to get your toys. And you put that forward, everything is going to fall apart. And then you have to kill the, the national $800 billion national security budget, because you're going to have to say, we're all one, we're all connected. And that's the kind of message that they may be actually covering up. It's going to be, as I said, it's going to be a lot less physical than people think it is, and a lot more spiritual than people think it is. It's going to be a thousand times more complex than people think it is, and it will not have a hint of capitalism. It will be like a beehive mentality, a Super Bowl team where everybody, like all the soul, all the cells on a body, all work together to make things one. Uh, injuries. I'll just go through the injuries quickly. I've got two minutes left here. Um, injuries. Um, so they're talking about these injuries. Um, 200 injuries. My number one question would be, how do you get 200 people who got injured? They're all military people. My number one question is, were they carrying a gun when they got injured? And so they, they, they're using the military people because they can get their medical records. Go back to Bigelow. What did Bigelow say? There was no injuries on Skinwalker Ranch, no major injuries when he had the Skinwalker Ranch. Didn't happen. So how do you have 200 military guys get injured? And Bigelow said, nobody got injured when I had it. Fugel says the same thing. Fugel says, no, except for that one case where the guy sort of took on the, the, um, the intelligence. There was, there was really no um, injuries. But both um, Bigelow and Fugel have indicated, Fugel more than Bigelow, that it has a reflective quality to it. That whatever you bring on, and so when, when, when Fugel goes in to the ranch, they pray as they're coming into the ranch. Because you realize you're going to manifest if you decide you're going to you're going to have a, uh, you're up against the Skinwalker and it's evil, you're going to manifest this. You are in charge. So they do this. George Knapp said those that were the most aggressive to the phenomena had the worst experiences. It's this reflective quality. You are creating the world around you. It's not some evil alien out there that's that's doing this kind of stuff. We are creating it. Uh, the military and this comes to the Remington Force. I'm supposed to be interviewing John Burroughs. And the number of questions I have with John Burroughs, because they're one of the people uh, reported that John Burroughs pulled a gun. Now, John said he didn't believe he had the gun out there. There's another case of a woman that had a nervous breakdown around the forest. She had a gun as well, according to uh, Holt. She was, in, she was in her car. She had this gun. The object came through the car, and she ended up having a, a nervous breakdown. And that's the whole deal is, are there guns? If you decide you're going to a CE5 and take a gun along, you could be in some trouble. They don't seem to like guns. They don't seem to like missiles, and they sure as hell don't seem to like nuclear weapons. This is the whole thing: is when people say a person is injured, you got to ask, what was the circumstance of it? Did I have a gun? And I can give you the the, the example that in the Satin Treatment Files, the one case I had, and I'll, I'll sort of end with this slide. Um, they had uh, U.S. Navy intelligence out of Florida had picked up an intercept of a UFO coming into Cuban airspace. And they tracked this whole thing, and one guy reported to Stan Friedman. They went to the National Enquirer. They filed a, uh, an FOIA on it. Uh, the um, group that was against UFO secrecy actually went and challenged the U.S. Uh, 
national security agency and said, unless we get the records from this, we're going to the Cuban embassy. We got a visit from the FBI that afternoon, scared the living daylights out of the guy. This is a very serious case, the U.S. Navy intelligence guy. And what happens is the, the craft is coming in, and they, they order the craft to, to turn, to identify itself. The craft keeps coming in. There's two, two, two jets. Uh, the wingman is the one that, that, that gets the final word. Uh, they say, take it down. They lock on, and according to the wingman, he starts screaming, he's gone, he's gone, the craft, the, 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 the plane just disintegrated, he's gone. And that's what I would maintain. If you want to hunt the skinwalker, be prepared to be hunted. It's reflective. It's what you put out, you get back. And they, and last thing I would put down is people are talking about, why the Navy, why, why are all these... These UFOs interfering with the Navy. And I would quote El, Lou Elizondo, who said about the Nimitz Carrier Group in one interview, it had more nuclear super power than the entire state of New York. They have nuclear reactors uh, powering these ships. They have nuclear weapons. They have these submarines. So you have the whole nuclear carrier. And that may be why these uh, engagements are taking place with the military, because the Air Force doesn't have nuclear stuff. They have nuclear plane. All the nuclear stuff is in the Navy. I'll leave it at that, and we'll maybe... Wait, Grant, I just have a few words, questions, because it's so... I, I agree with most of what you're saying, and it does seem to be all emanating from whatever consciousness is, but how do we ever learn anything new? And how do we gain control if it's all us out there and we're doing things? How do we access control over the world we're creating? Because it well, seems you... to be happening, yeah. Well, you realize you're creating it. So whatever, it's like, so everything that happens is why would I manifest this? Instead mm -hmm. of seeing it a random event, oh, well, why would I, why would I do this? You know, if it's a good, bad thing or whatever. And it's, it's the idea that any people, you can see everything as good or bad. Like one person will have an experience, one will see it as good, some will see it as bad. But you, if you realize that you are the creator, that you are creating what's happening around you, it's hard to get into it to, to try to get control of it. But that's basically what it comes down to. It's I, you are creating, I am creating, and there's no out there out there. There are no people influencing us. We are the ones that are, even you're bringing these people in to teach you a lesson, that you you, you have this engagement with somebody. Uh, if you read um, Michael Newton, it goes in the same thing, that you and I and, and, and Neil all sat down before we were born and said, oh, we're going to do this thing. Neil's going to run this thing, and he's going to, and Greg's going to come on, and, and then this is going to happen, and that's going to happen. And, and if we realize that, that it may all have been planned. Even my assistant, Desta, had, had the, the word was given to her. She was really upset. Like, forget it. Well, what are you fighting? I mean, you, you've made all this stuff. you created all this stuff. you created this we before you came into the world. And she said, no, 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 no. She didn't believe that. And they, and they stopped talking to her. And she, she, she went for a month, I think. She was back and forth trying to get, she couldn't believe this idea that, no, it was her. That was, it was all this. And it's all happening. And I think the, the creation is done. We make the choices before we come in as to who we're going to play, what we're going to learn, and stuff like that. But a lot of it is 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 predestined, and a lot of it is us doing it. So the big question is, how do we get in touch with that part of us that have made all those decisions? Because you say you created this. It's not the you, the personality. It's you. Well, okay. Big, okay, I'll yeah. give you the answer. The, the, the okay. personality is the ego. The personality yeah. is the little voice that's talking and saying, this is, God's full of it, this is not true, this is not God. It's the noise and the signal. So what do they say? And I do it in contact modalities. The whole, every, all 70 contact modalities are the same thing. It's the ability to shut down the, the left brain ego, the one that's creating the noise and the signal. Be quiet and still, be, 
Be still and know that I am God. You sit right. there and you be quiet. And if you can get that signal, you pick up the signal. That's all channelers are doing. That's all people are doing. Is there you do hypnosis? You're quieting the mind. No, you're not. You're quieting the noise in the signal, so you can pick up the signal. And that's when you make the contact. And we're so much into the physical world with the ego running the show that we can't break off. We can't. We can't get into that zone. And that's what meditation. That's what all contact modalities are about: is getting quiet. Getting and that you'll see this with near death experience with Hunkalai, where she says it was absolutely silent. It was it was there, and she her whole life she was trying to get back to that silence that it was all there. She was in, completely in the field, and people who are near death experiences are completely in the field because their left brain is completely shut out of it. It's completely uh, shut off through trauma or through whatever. That's what it is. It's it's this idea that you have to, the stillness is there. You have to go. That's where everything is happening, but it's very hard to do. Wait, I want just one more question. If everything is set, then there is there any way to create more unknown? Isn't it our job to move into creation and 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 create new possibilities? Well, that that's the whole idea that the basic format is set as to who you. But I, I still think most people would say that there still is the free will that you can still vary it based upon uh, your decisions. Uh, as, as you move along. So the, the free will debate, I would still say on the free will debate, yeah, you have some choices, but there is a pattern set as to who you're going to meet and, and, and what's going to happen. And, right. and subconsciously, you're bringing all this stuff on where you need this or, or you imagine, you know, you imagine being sick and then you become sick or you imagine, uh, you know, becoming rich. And, and you, yeah, or whatever, that you got to relate the mind, as, as Edgar Casey said, the spirit is the life, the mind is the builder. And the physical is a result. That was 100 years ago he said that. And all the channelers are saying the same thing. You hear it over and over again. You are the builder. You are creating it. And it's this conscious world. And we're starting to get away from it because we were starting to realize that consciousness may be primary. Ten years ago when I had my download experience, people thought I was nuts. They thought I had absolutely lost it. But now people are starting to talk about this, especially with the simulated universe, that it may not be a physical world. Everything may be a desktop icon. That what you see in the physical world is not. It's just reflective of the real reality that you can't see, or the idea of people make the, I'll give you one last example. The, the guy who started Pixar um, uh, movies, he wrote a book called uh, The Pixel uh, something, and he talks about the pixel. So you say, what's a pixel? They say, oh, a pixel, and you get the film, you, you blow up the film, and it's these little squares. He said, no, nah, it's not a pixel. A pixel is a one-dimensional uh, thing in space. You cannot see a pixel. And what they do is they take these spreaders that are used in the brain and are used in holograms and stuff, and they spread the pixel, and then they, they take 40 of those, they put them in these little boxes, and that's how they have a photograph. But we think a pixel is a thing. You cannot see a pixel. You cannot see anything in reality. Everything you're seeing is a desktop icon in the way. You are not driving the video car. You're driving, you think, but there's something way behind it. The reality is unseen. You can never see reality. You can only see these, these things that we create, that we play, our, our little video games and our little bodies. Grant, if we were outside, if we were outside our bodies, then interdimensional, extraterrestrial, we were looking down at us humans. Would we just see ourselves? Would we just see them as energy fields then, or no house, like nothing exists? Like, a, well, um, it, well, the people that are in the in the field will describe themselves as like a a, a, a ball of light, a spot of light, where you see the orbs and stuff like that. But again, you're you're going within your body. To see yourself, you're you're having this impression because your body is inside yourself. So the 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 awareness leaves the body inside yourself and, and looks around and can go wherever it wants and do whatever it wants. And people always will tell you with out of body experiences they can 
they can literally do whatever they want. They can make everything manifest whenever they want. They can they can move around. And that's this idea that it can't be a physical thing where we're moving through time and space. It's got to be this thing. It's, uh, there's no space and time. So how long does it take to go from here to the other side of the universe? You can do it instantaneously because it's all in the same point of space. Right, right. Uh, great, beautiful. I mean, Thanks so much, a, brother. I, I'm going I'm to call you this week, Grant. So um, I want to continue this conversation. Fantastic. We'll be back here for the, the panel in a few hours, right? In, uh, yes, hours, I will. Right, cool. we'll continue. But it's a it's yeah, an we'll ET panel, so try to pretend there are ETs out there. No, all the world, all the world's a stage. All the men and women and aliens are but actors. Yes, okay. Right. <laughs> well, let's call a few of them in. Thanks for but that, that Grant. That's almost Brilliant. like having to pretend that humans exist. It's, uh, it's well, that, that's the thing. They're they're pretending to be aliens, and we're pretending to be humans. We are not yeah. humans. We are not the actor on the stage. We are playing an actor on the stage. Yeah, right. as as as. Um, uh, Paul Salga, one of them said, you've got to remember who you actually are. You've got to remember you are the voice, the, 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 the silence between the words. You are not the words. You are not the, the human. You are watching the human. You are you are the, that which does not change. Yeah. Well, oh uh, Whitley says that the ETs exist beyond time and space from that from that field of infinite consciousness. So. Well, yeah, they, they can manifest themselves the same as we can. Man we can we can be whatever we want as well. I mean, that's the whole idea. When we leave, we can say, "I'm come back as a gray," or can be whatever you want. But it's still a play. It's still a. It's still not a physical. It, it's still a thing which made out of consciousness. Great. Okay. Great. Thank I, I, you, Grant. Sorry, to run late. We'll take some questions. Thank later. you, Grant. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thanks. Okay. I'm just a little blown away. Like, where do I exist? Where do I end? What am I looking at? And are you real, guys? And is Lori... We're not real. We're just, we're just images on a video screen that you projected. Well, well straight up, I, I mean, this is... Uh, that the whole thing about the fact that we're subatomic particles vibrating in and out of reality is just the bottom line of it all, you know? And we've been able to quantify it and look at it in a laboratory setting now that we are not physical beings as we see it. And once we can embody that, as I like to say now, we can transcend the Matrix and start doing all types of magical things, you know? And I feel like the movie The Matrix is basically that, like realizing the nature of reality, transcending out of it, and then, you know, embodying that and using the gifts that come with that. I feel that's the evolution that we're on. But, but you know, I was going to ask Grant, and I'll ask it later, I don't want to take too much time, is that we, if we know the world is Maya, and maybe Laurie can talk about that, we're still here to operate within the illusion for uh, everyone's highest good. So we hope. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's paradoxical. It, right. it, it doesn't exist and it exists. We're humans and we're not humans. And we got to accept both of them. You know? I don't know. And whose reality so, are we in? Yours, Joan. Yours. I know. Yours right now. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in your reality. Wait, no, and we're, about into, we're about to get into Lori's reality. That's for sure. No, no, I just have to interject here. When I was in my 20s, I had the full blown realization. And I told my friend, Rebby, Rebby. I'm just an idea in the mind of God. And Reddy said, yes, but a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> what a good way to bring Laurie on. That's hilarious. Well, Alan, do you want to do the official intro to Laurie here? Well, I think uh, Joan, I mean, I love Laurie, and she does incredible work with ETs, ascension, um, transformation in general. She's been at this for years, and she, I can see she's really worked inward to share this experience outward. 
So I think Joan has a little bit more of an introduction there as well, but I'm so happy you're here, Lori. I know. It is so good to see you, Lori. Thank you for dropping into my reality. I appreciate it so much. All right, I'll read a little bit of your bio in case people don't know her, but you're just amazing, so... Yeah, I would love that you do. I, I totally want you to read my bio, but I so want to address something that Alan said. I don't know if you just said Oh, yeah, please go ahead with before the bio. Go ahead. Two things. Number one, what we are in, is pure awareness. We are all pure awareness. Yeah. We're not at the state of energetic purity, vibrational purity, to perceive and realize ourselves as pure awareness. But we are pure awareness, undiluted from from human interpretation of what that awareness is. And all that we are aware of is what is within our vibrational bandwidth of awareness. So when you talk about people who are, you know, when we talk about 